Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and I'm a reporter in The Globe's Ottawa Bureau. I'll be guest hosting The Decibel for the next few weeks. A huge storm hit British Columbia this weekend. At least one person has been killed in a mudslide south of Lillooet, B.C. As of Tuesday afternoon, the search continued for others who were swept off the highway. Hundreds of people were rescued from their cars after being trapped, some overnight, by mudslides on another highway near Agassiz, a few hours' drive west of Vancouver. Meanwhile, flooding in parts of Vancouver Island and southern British Columbia have forced communities to evacuate. Here's Chris Stackhouse of Princeton, B.C., in a video showing his town half-submerged in brown floodwater. Our community centre is getting overflowed with people who are losing their homes, losing everything that they know and love. Uh, It's just crazy. It goes further down into town. Uh, You know, these people are... uh, Houses are underwater, completely destroyed. We can't get out because the highway is closed. There's one small highway open, um, but they're even talking about closing that down. We have two more days of rain. It's supposed to freeze tonight. Things are getting worse by the hour. Catherine Blaisbaum is the Globe's environment reporter, and she's been delving into the science behind what's happening here. She'll tell us what an atmospheric river is and why it's caused this havoc in B.C. You're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Hi, Catherine. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So we're, we're talking around 4 o'clock on, on Tuesday afternoon, so this is a fast-moving story. Things have probably developed since then. But, you know, even at this point, we've seen some pretty terrifying scenes coming out of B.C. Catherine, can you give us a sense, some kind of overview of, of what's been happening there? Sure. So effectively, uh, rainfall has been just pounding the sort of southern portion of B.C., especially along the coast for the past few days, uh, mostly spanning, from what I understand, roughly sort of Saturday through Monday. And that rainfall has wreaked just total havoc and uh, caused dramatic flooding and uh, mudslides to just devastate uh, some communities and leave people stranded. And as we're just learning, possibly cause fatalities. Yeah, there were some dramatic scenes, even in Vancouver, that barge that uh, ran aground at the Stanley Park seawall. People were trapped in their cars overnight on the highway. Could you explain a little bit about that? How were people trapped and and what, what had happened there? Yeah, so there was a mudslide on a highway in BC. And so that's due to this unprecedented storm that did strand drivers along the highway there and sort of destroying sections of the highway and forcing thousands of people to flee their homes. So I'm sure that the mass evacuations in places such as Merritt, you know, caused some amount of the highways just being busier than normal. um, And that happened at a time when the rains were just hammering that area. And we're hearing that this weather has been caused by what's called an, an atmospheric river. Could you explain that for us? Because I think a lot of us, myself included, haven't really heard that term before. So an atmospheric river, as I understand it, is actually a relatively new term in climate science. I spoke with a University of British Columbia climate scientist named Simon Donner, and he was really wonderful at sort of breaking this down for me. 
effectively an atmospheric river is a river in the sky. Hmm. You can picture it that way. It behaves that way and it rains down on us that way. It's an intense and narrow band of moisture-laden air that's commonly associated with mid-pressure cyclones that bring heat and moisture from the tropics to the poles. This is why, you know, sometimes these atmospheric rivers, particularly in BC, can be dubbed a pineapple express because they originate from the area near the Hawaiian Islands. So basically an atmospheric river is defined as like a plume of moisture extending at least 2,000 kilometers in length, which is baffling to think of. And it's defined as being no more than roughly 1,000 kilometers in width and can be roughly three kilometers deep. Um, According to a Journal of Hydrometeorology study that was cited by NASA on a site I was looking at, usually an atmospheric river passes over a coastal site in about 20 hours. This one seems to have lasted days. And the way uh, uh, Simon Donner put it was, if you could take the water vapor and weigh it, it will be the same mass as some of the great rivers of the world. I think he actually said it could be as much as the Amazon. Wow. I mean, that gives us a sense of how just how extreme this this really is then. Exactly. You mentioned it's a new term. Does that mean this is a, a kind of a new phenomenon? Like, are we seeing things happening now that just weren't happening before? The short answer to that would be no. Atmospheric rivers are actually quite common. And according to a 2014 report that I was looking at um, that was actually commissioned by the province of BC and Natural Resources Canada, the BC coast receives upward of a quarter of its total annual precipitation from atmospheric river events. There are some places in the United States that, as I understand it, receive half of their annual precipitation from atmospheric rivers. So this isn't a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. What makes this particular event striking for us today is a confluence of factors that conspired to make it exceptionally dramatic. And I think the fact that it came on the heels of a very punishing summer for British Columbians that made headlines all across the country. Is this the kind of weather that we knew was coming? Were people aware of this or should people have been notified that something was going to happen like this? That's a good question. It's something that I'm still looking into. I mean, I know that Environment Canada did uh, put out, you know, a weather warning, I believe, you know, sort of late last week. But to my understanding, I'm not sure that it rose to the level that it quite needed to in time. I mean, that will sort of remain to be seen when we sort of go back over when alerts were issued and warnings were issued and evacuation alerts and orders were released or put out. There were a combination of factors, like I said, that conspired to make this latest slow-moving atmospheric river so dramatic. And my understanding is that those factors include sort of the duration of the event, which, as I've said, was longer than I think is typical, especially in BC. And then the sheer volume of the water vapor in that atmospheric corridor. And then thirdly, this was something that Professor Donner described to me as sort of La Nina conditions that climatologists and scientists were already predicting would create jet stream conditions conducive to transporting high levels of moisture northward from the tropics. As Professor Donner said, he said, there are times you can feel the atmospheric river effects for a couple of days in a row, but this level of intensity was incredible. It was like being in a tropical hurricane in terms of the rainfall.
So I think the question that's on everybody's mind is, is this related to climate change? And, and if so, how is it related to climate change? So attributing weather events to climate change can be very tricky, but I think what we can say with some amount of certainty is that extreme weather events are going to happen more often and at greater intensities as the world continues to warm. That is something that is widely agreed by reputable scientists around the world. Earlier this year, on August 9th, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released a monolithic report, but it said that the average and maximum rain rates associated with tropical and extratropical cyclones, atmospheric rivers, and severe convective storms will also increase with future warming. And they were able to say that with a high level of confidence. Yeah. I also saw a report, this one's a little bit older, but it was specifically looking at atmospheric rivers, and it said... Plainly, as extreme precipitation increases, similar increases in atmospheric rivers are also expected. So we know that the world is warming. We know that a certain amount of climate change is baked in no matter what we do now. And therefore, we know that extreme weather events are more likely and extreme weather events like the one we just saw in B.C. are more likely. And of course, that part of B.C. has has been hit by a, a, a few extreme weather events this year. So we had actually a tornado just earlier this month uh, in part of Vancouver, the heat dome, the wildfires earlier this year. Is there a reason why this part of B.C. in particular is being hit hard by these extreme weather events? There are a couple of reasons that could answer that question. And one is just the fact that it's on the Pacific coast. And so some of the weather systems that it has seen are correlated with jet streams and weather events that derive from the Pacific coast. In addition, there have been, you know, some pretty severe wildfire seasons in that province. And we know that there is a correlation between heat, fires, and actually flooding. What we don't tend to think about is what forest fires do to soil systems, plant systems, root systems. And as I understand it, wildfires can actually cause the soil that it leaves behind to be almost water repellent. And the term can be hydrophobic. So it can actually become kind of waxy and the water just sort of runs off it and the absorptive capabilities of the soil is much diminished. So the fact that BC is now experiencing this atmospheric river is kind of adding insult to injury after what was a pretty harrowing and deadly summer. So you're saying it's not a coincidence then that the mudslides that are happening are happening in the same areas where the, the wildfires were happening this summer, like near Lytton, BC. I think that that is something that experts will probably aim to more closely correlate. But I think that when I speak with People who are, their research is sort of deeply in this field, there do seem to be connections between those two things. Um, but I was also cautioned by some of the experts that I spoke with that, you know, yes, BC is going through a really hard time right now with climate change fueled weather events. But the atmospheric river that settled over BC could have easily settled over Toronto or Montreal or any number of other Canadian cities. And same goes for the heat dome. And we know that wildfires can pop up in most provinces and territories. At one point this summer, they were, they were in most provinces and territories, except for maybe a couple jurisdictions. So basically, this is something that Canadians generally need to be concerned about. 
You mentioned earlier that these kind of events are, are going to happen more frequently and, and with a greater intensity there. How are communities preparing for this? Do we have a sense of, of the kinds of infrastructure or the building that needs to, to happen in order to prepare for this kind of event? I mean, I think that there are all kinds of sort of flood mitigation and flood adaptation tactics that can be taken, you know, whether they're levees or the way that we build or ensuring that we have good stormwater drainage. And to some degree, this will have to be derived from engineered assets, like things that we build. But there's also a lot of attention being focused now on sort of natural climate solutions. So preserving our watersheds and our drainage systems such that they can be part of mitigating against devastating impacts from flooding. The concern is that, you know, with development, we lose some of those kind of natural solutions that are kind of built into Mother Nature to help sort of take care of us. And we saw that uh, adaptation measures were on a big display at COP26 with lots of money being promised to developing countries, for example, from developed nations to assist with adaptation initiatives. And that would extend to, you know, both heat adaptation and flooding and adaptation for all kinds of climate change fueled weather events. So with the events of the last few days, the largest port in the country was was shut off from rail. The, the Trans Mountain Pipeline was closed. Highways were washed away. Entire towns were evacuated. I guess this kind of extreme event, do you see this as something that may, you know, in, in some ways might really wake people up and realize how dramatic and how significant um, these changes and these extreme weather events are going to be uh, in some ways really maybe push people to action more or governments to action? I do think that people are increasingly connecting the dots between things that they're seeing happening in their own communities and, you know, in their own lives with global warming, which Global is such a broad term, it feels very far away, but we don't have to go anywhere to see the effects of climate change on our planet. That is now everywhere, and people in British Columbia, I think, are probably among those who are connecting the dots. And I do think that this past summer was a summer of extremes, and it wasn't just a summer of extremes for BC. It was a summer of extremes for lots of Canadian cities that broke you know, temperature records by huge margins. And it was a summer of extremes for regions in Europe and the Mediterranean and elsewhere, you know, that saw forest fires and, and heat waves. And so put all of that together with the recent United Nations report that came out in August that basically sounded the alarm and called this moment a code red for humanity. And then add to that the recent COP26 International Climate Change Summit in Glasgow. And you add to that Biden being back in office and kind of reengaging with the Paris Agreement and China being somewhat at the table and, you know, raising the stakes for its ambitions. And I do think that we are at hopefully a moment where the scales are tipping towards doing more and more and more, because while some amount of global warming is baked in, the whole point of COP26, that international climate system, was to try to keep the goal of 1.5 alive. And what's meant by that is trying to limit global warming to less than 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial times. If we can do that, we can avert some of the most consequential and catastrophic effects of climate change. Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. 
I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks to Catherine Blaisbaum. You can find more of her work at theglobeandmail.com. You can also email us at thedecibel at globeandmail.com. If you want to reach me, I'm on Twitter at RW. And if you haven't already, please follow The Decibel wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.